And we're going to do all of Second Corinthians 9, starting from verse 1. Paul's letter. <coughs> now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers, so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you be may be, so, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if the Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated, to say nothing of you, for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely, he is given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplied seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from the confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. This is the word of the Lord. And now Rob's going to come up. Thanks, Nigel. Well, good morning, everyone. Hope you're able to join us now for this um, teaching of God's Word as we're sitting around in separated and lounge rooms and uh, who knows where. But today we're going to be talking about Christian giving. Christian giving. I don't know how many churches in your lifetime that you've been a part of or perhaps you've visited, but one thing seems to happen in multiple churches now is either they talk about giving way too much or not enough. It's kind of like two extremes. Let me say at the outset, God doesn't need your money, but He cares that you give. Okay, so God, God doesn't, let me just say at the outset, God doesn't need your money, but He does care that you give. In Psalm 50, verse 12, the Lord says, if I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and all its fullness is mine. Everything belongs to God. Even the money that we think we are giving to Him already belongs to Him anyways. God has never once been frustrated for a lack of money. That's the first thing I want to say up front. 
The second thing I want to add is that God does not hate money. God is not against money. God doesn't condemn us for having money. Uh, the scriptures view money as amoral. You, do you know what I mean by that? The script, money itself could be used for good or could be used for evil. Also, in Deuteronomy 8.18, we're told that God actually gives us the ability to make money. <laughs> so we get money because we have the ability to earn money. So when Jesus condemned the Pharisees, do you remember and often Jesus condemns them about money? Do you remember that? But it's not because they have money per se. It's their love of money. Their love of money. We don't have to have a lot of money to love it. Or a little of money to love it. We can have stacks of cash and be unattached to it or have a little and be consumed by it. The issue is not the amount that we have. The issue is the response of our hearts to what we have and how we use it. So here's where I want us to go this morning. When we think about this idea of giving, first I want us to think about the why behind it. The why behind Christian giving. Why give? Right? Why give? Second, I want to think about the what, or I should say the how. The how of Christian giving. So first, the why of Christian giving. Second, the how of Christian giving. Now, let's pray, and then I want to look at this passage that Nigel just read for us. But let's pray. Lord, we uh, pray now that this wouldn't just be a talk about money or just some principles that we sort of, oh yeah, that's nice, and move on with our lives. But may the truths that are from your word penetrate our hearts and change the way that we budget. We ask this for Christ's name. Amen. So when you think of the Apostle Paul, when you think of the Apostle Paul, I wonder what comes to mind. Missionary, right? Evangelist, church planter, guy who wrote New Testament. Here's one you might not have thought of when I said think of the Apostle Paul. Fundraiser. Raising support may not sound all that glorious, but throughout the New Testament, you can see how Paul was concerned for his fellow Christians living in Jerusalem. The believers there were very poor for a number of reasons, be it persecution or high taxes or even a famine that happened at that time. The reality is these guys were in a tough spot financially. They were really struggling. So what Paul does is spend about five years soliciting funds from churches in Galatia, Macedonia, and Asia in order to help them. And one church that stood out for its generosity was the church in Corinth. That's the backdrop to these chapters in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. So let's, let's go there now. You can see this for yourself here. Paul starts off by talking about this 
uh, money that the Corinthians said that they wanted to give in order to help the Jerusalem church, right? They, they were really enthusiastic about that. Kind of like today, you know, when we hear sermons, we go, oh, yeah, oh, oh, man, I'm, I'm keen as a bean. And then, are you though? Like, you know, the next day when you wake up, is, that gonna, is there going to be a follow through? That's what Paul's concerned about. He says, it's great that you've been excited. In fact, your excitement to give has energized these other churches, but I just want to make sure that you're going to literally put your money where your mouth is when we show up. Look here in 2 Corinthians 9. He says, he knows they're generous, right? That's why he says, it's superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. Remember the saints in Jerusalem. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia, that's, that's the, uh, Corinth is the capital of Achaia, right? That, that Achaia has been ready since last year. And your zeal, notice, has stirred up most of them. Paul's like, look, guys, I've been bragging about you to these Macedonian churches, telling them how you were on top of this since last year. And, and we're planning a trip out to see you, so I can point to you guys. But just to make sure that you're still on top of this, I'm going to send some guys, some delegates, to come knock on your door so that we don't show up in a little bit from now and you kind of are sitting there with you know empty pockets going, uh, what, what money for the Jerusalem church? Right? And look at verse 3. But I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this manner, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if ma some Macedonians come with me, and find that you are not ready, you would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. See what he's saying to them? When it comes to giving, guys, I've pointed to you as the gold star standard. Just hearing about this has energized other churches. But it'd be pretty embarrassing if we show up and you don't have anything and then you're forced to scrounge up the money. Not to mention, I'd look a bit silly for bragging about you guys. Obviously, I, I've paraphrased that there in a rather crassly. But you can't read this text without feeling some of the pressure He's putting on them. Now, he doesn't leave this awkwardness hanging here, though, does he? What does Paul do? He seizes this moment to teach them a lesson about Christian giving, what the nature of their giving ought to look like, and he does it in a way that's both memorable and proverbial. If you look at verse 6, you'll see what I'm saying. He says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. There's a lot of principles there, is there not, about giving, particularly the why behind it. So that's what we're going to do now. I want us to really sort of camp here 
and ask the why behind giving. Because Paul lays it out. He doesn't just say, you know, have the money ready. He teaches this lesson, right? And it's proverbial. First in verse 7, I want us to see that giving is good for your heart. That's the first lesson I want us to draw from this. That giving is actually good for your heart. In verse 7, notice he says that each of us should give what we have decided to in our hearts. Giving is a matter of the heart. This was Jesus' point in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, or thieves break in and steal. Probably not shocked, probably not surprised to hear Jesus say that. Right? That's the guy who said, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Probably not surprised to say, you know, don't store up for yourselves treasure on earth. But here comes the kicker in the next part of the verse. Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's quite straightforward. Our hearts naturally drift towards our treasure. Whatever that treasure happens to be. Let's pretend that now that it's locked down, you've got some extra time on your hands. So you decided, I'm going to invest in some stock and I'm going to do it in Disney. You know, because you've got Disney Plus there on your TV. Now, if you did that, I guarantee you'll have a sudden interest in how Disney is doing as a company. Why? because you've made an investment and you want to return, right? Now contrast that with the overall point Jesus is making here in the Sermon on the Mount. If you give and live your life in such a way that most of your treasure is waiting for you in heaven, that's where your heart will be. Our hearts naturally follow where our treasure is. Think about it. Every time you give, you're making a statement that God is better than anything else you would have done with that money. You see, the Lord cares about our giving, not because He needs our money, but because He wants our hearts. So friend, I, may I encourage you, give, because it's good for your heart. But also give because you actually store up for yourself treasure in heaven. Did you hear that, what Jesus says? Store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Now, that's, that principle is here as well. Come with me to verse 6. He says, the point is this. Notice, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. You've got this sowing image here which reflects what our giving is like. The lesser sowing, the lesser reaping. The greater sowing, the greater reaping. You know, so Corinth was a, the city of Corinth was a bustling city, capital city on the Aegean Sea. But this farming, this farming metaphor wouldn't have been lost on them. I mean, think of a farmer, right? If for whatever reason, so these are seeds, so if for whatever reason, you know, he decides um, to plant a little, right? Just take 
couple little seeds, and you can't see these, but, you know, you just take, take a couple little seeds and sort of plant them in, and that's it, you know, just a, just a small little, a couple little seeds there. And for whatever reason, he decides to just do just kind of, you know, he's, he's stingy, right? He, he decides to just give just, just a little bit. Well, guess what? He can expect a little bit in return. But if he is bountiful, you see the words there? Bountifully giving. He's throwing the seed everywhere and he's generous. Well, he'll harvest much. You don't have to be a horticulturalist or a farmer to understand the point here, do you? God blesses people in proportion to their giving. God blesses people in proportion to their giving. The more one gives, the more God gives back in return. Now, I have to pause there for a second because it's beginning, I'm starting to smell like a prosperity preacher, right? The reward promised is very real, but spiritual in nature. As we just looked at Matthew 6, Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. If you give more, God may choose to increase your net worth today, but he has in no way promised such a thing. And any Christian teacher who promises or insinuates a better marriage, a better bank balance, or a better GP visit because you give to his or her ministry should be avoided. More than COVID, okay? Avoid someone like that. They're more cancerous than COVID. Nevertheless, and this is where I say, remember I said in the beginning, some churches, out of a fear that they're going to sound like a prosperity church, which if you haven't figured that out, that's not what we're on about here. Church. But then as a fear, then they swing the pendulum the other way and they don't talk about money at all. But here's where I want to press on all of us, myself included. Nevertheless, it seems both Jesus and Paul seem to say, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Give because you'll get a return in heaven. Jamie Dumlop helpfully says it this way. He says, if you're a Christian... You should be living so that if heaven turns out not to be real, your life will have been an utter failure, a calamity. Your calling is to put all your eggs in one basket, the basket of Jesus' promises. I thought about that this week. If all this Christianity stuff turns out to be a sham, would I regret the time and the energy and the money I've given towards it. Think how you'd answer that for yourself. If following Jesus hasn't cost you anything, A, is it real for you? And B, how much do you think you're really storing up in heaven? I mean, from the world's perspective, could they accuse you of wasting your money, of being a bit crazy or irresponsible by giving the, by, by the amount that you give? Or does your budget, does your stewardship of your money look just like theirs? Listen to what one bloke who back in his day could have been in Forbes magazine, very rich, King Solomon, he says this, Proverbs 11, one gives freely yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. 
So church, give for the sake of your heart. Give for the sake of your reward. And give to glorify God, which is what you're made for. But the question is, how should we give? How should we do that? What should our posture be? What should our attitude be? Well, we should give cheerfully and deliberately. Give cheerfully and give deliberately. Come again to verse 7. Notice he says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Wow, Paul says something quite astounding there, doesn't he? God delights in those who delight to give to him. It's an amazing assertion that the Lord takes a special pleasure, has a special joy in our giving to him. I mean, if you happen to donate to a local charity, does that organization really care what your motive is? No. And how could they possibly know what your motive is? They can't. They can't discern that. They don't have the ability to. Nor does that really concern them. Same if you give to a politician or whatever. They, they don't know. They, they can't know. But God actually does care. He does care about our motive. And it is the cheerful giver that pleases him. It's been said, fear makes you give because you have to, and love makes you give because you want to. Why do I bring my wife flowers? Because I have to? We, really just, we recently just celebrated our anniversary. Can you imagine the look on her face? You know, here's the flowers. I mean, it's an anniversary. I had to, you know, I had to do it. No. I, I, I give her flowers because I want to. Because she's amazing. Because she's delightful. Because I want in some way, a small way, to communicate my feelings of love for her. In a similar way, our hearts will swell with the desire to give when they swell with an appreciation for how amazing God is. Giving is a response to God's generosity. Check out the pre... Go just to one page over, or it might be on the same page there. In chapter 8, notice... Chapter 8, verse 9, notice how he says that Jesus is the supreme reason for Christian giving. Chapter 8, verse 9, is very personalizes this as well by saying, for you know, notice that? You know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. No one was richer than Christ and no one became poorer than Christ. Alistair Begg puts it this way, the self-giving and the self-impoverishment of the Son of God is the driving principle that Paul uses to release God's people in giving. I love that. The self-giving and the self-impoverishment of the Son of God is the driving principle that Paul uses to release God's people in giving. So you see, our joyful giving is actually just a response to God's grace, to God's generosity to us. So give cheerfully. But give, second, give deliberately. I want, um, I said go to the left, go a few pages in the left now to the very end of 1 Corinthians because I want to show you something interesting. There's some, this, this is a passage that you might just sort of skip over in your devotions, but 
I reckon there's some helpful tips on, on how to give when we think about how to give. So 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2. Paul says, he's talking about the collection of the saints, remember? As I directed the churches of Galatia. Now verse 2, on the first day of the week, of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collection when I come. We often celebrate spontaneity as the height of spirituality. But is, that's not really what Paul's advice is here, is it? Instead, he suggests some level of planning. He tells them to put aside something. You see that? Each week. I, I think there's a principle there to plan your giving. Plan your giving. The Spirit is just as active in your life when you are planning your budget as when you are singing at church. You see? So we need to be deliberate in how we give. I, I, I don't think it's more honoring to God to show up and just feel at that moment whatever you feel like giving. I think that's... I, I, if, that's if, if you really believe that we're storing up treasure in heaven by the way in which we give... Is that really how you want to, pun intended, gamble this on, right? I think the, the best way is actually to plan, to think, to sit down, and to think about how we can best give. Now, some of us are not very deliberate with our money because we don't have much. But let me push back on that. No one thinks they're rich, by the way. Have you noticed that? Very few people would say, oh, I'm rich. We all think, oh, well, you know, if I had more, I'd give more. You know, the famous story of the preacher who shows up on, at the farm. He talks to the farmer and he goes, Farmer, if you had $1,000, would you give 500 up to the Lord? Oh, yes, preacher, I would. If you had two cows, would you give one of them to the Lord? Yes, I would. If you had two pigs, would you give them? And the farmer says, that's not fair. You know I have two pigs. Often we, we don't see ourselves as having much. But yet, when you look through the pages of Scripture, often the people that are giving aren't necessarily the ones that are rolling in the dough. For example, I, I, when we had family devotions this week, my kids and I noticed that the Israelites, these freed slaves, are out in the wilderness... Right? So when you're out in the wilderness, you're, you're not like you know, earning a living. You've kind of got what you've got. And the Lord asks of them to give. He says, we need to build the tabernacle. So whoever feels like they want to give, give, contribute. And what happens? A lot of the ladies are taking off their earrings, literally, to contribute to gold. People are giving up of their um, goat hair and, and all of these things that they things that they have to build their tabernacle. They don't have anything. Here, here's what's interesting as well. In this passage back in Corinthians, Paul says that the Macedonians gave out of their poverty. So they're highlighted as heroes. And, and it's interesting, they begged Paul to give. 
They, they begged him. If you go back and read the passage later this afternoon, you can see that they say, oh, look, can, can we please give Paul to this cause? So if you look at the passage again here, again, one that we normally skip over, in 1 Corinthians 16, there's something else worth grabbing, and that's this. Look, he says, on the first day of, the, of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. Can you see how Paul encourages each individual to give, each individual to give as he may prosper? In other words, if you make just a little bit of money, give just a little bit of money. If you make a large amount, give a large amount. Regardless of the amount, let me ask you this. This is the shame of looking at a camera right now. I mean, Sky's great. She's st- sitting there, but, but this is the same. I wish I could look you in the eye and ask you this. Seriously, though, do some soul searching. Are you giving enough that it affects your heart? If one reason for our giving is to draw our hearts toward heaven, is your current giving substantial enough to do that? Is the giving now actually doing that? Is it substantial enough? Or is it just sort of loose change that you have tossed in the bucket in the past? Can I challenge you, friend? Give for the sake of your heart. Like if, if you feel, if you actually did some assessment and you didn't, you went, I'd encourage you to do this. Make a church, make, make a budget. Go, go after this time and, and sit down and say, okay, what am I giving to church? What am I giving to this? Okay, and, and look, you need to buy food. You know, but okay, is there a way that I can live below my means and still give off the top, you see? And then if you get a bonus, that say, oh, sweet. Well, I can just up, up it. I can still live at that margin and give more. Give more away. We've been talking about doing life together. And... Look, I, I think, as, as I said in the beginning of the sermon, I think churches don't hit on this enough. Or, or either it's lopsided. Either they don't do it at all, or they're, you know, it's prosperity gospel, or it's guilty, or, or whatever, right? I'm hoping you're seeing a gospel balance I'm trying to bring this morning. But I want to read this, because I, I want to ask you, would you consider committing? Remember we've been talking about this? committing to unity, committing to holiness. If you say that you're a part of the church, are you going to commit to give? And for the record, I've told Nigel this, who, who's our treasurer. I don't know who gives what, by the way. I don't, I don't have a list, and Dan and I have talked about that. We're not pulling up going, oh, look. So I have no idea. So I can throw this out with not names in the back of my head. I don't want to know who gives. So it's really, it's between you and God. But if you say, yes, this is the church that I want to be a part of, will you contribute cheerfully and regularly to the financial needs of this church and to the spread of the gospel around the world? That's the question I want to ask. Will you contribute cheerfully and regularly to the financial needs of this church and to the spread of the gospel around the world? Because that's what we want. We want a church that is committing to that, that's doing life together, that lives 
in such a way to where it's a joy to give. We're not tight-fisted. We're not stingy. We're giving. We're radically giving in some cases to where we're really having to trust the Lord with that. You know, I wish I would have heard this in my, say, 20s and 30s. I, I did not hear this enough in churches. I, was never, I, was, I wasn't pushed to do these kind of things. But you're, I, I, I'm there, I'm in that space now. And I'm, I'm trying to continue to give and to continue to trust the Lord. This, again, this is a whole church thing. I hope you can see that. This isn't a, I'm telling you, this isn't all of us thing. This is, this is Christian giving. So friend, will you contribute cheerfully and regularly to the financial needs of this church and to the spread of the gospel around the world? And will you be a part of a church with other brothers that are encouraging you to do that? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity again to look at your word. And Lord, there was, there's a lot of practical steps to go from here. So Lord, beyond just pontificating on things or thinking about things or just c- contemplating them for a few moments and going back to spending money and time and energy how we want. Lord, may this be very practical for us. May we actually take time today to reevaluate our giving. That we would do, do it in a way that's actually medicine for our hearts. We do it deliberately, Lord, cheerfully. May we store up treasures in heaven, Lord. May our hearts be there. In Christ's name, amen. We're going to sing one last song. So uh, if you're there, you can, depending if you're standing or sitting, whatever, let's make this last song a prayer.